Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Female Driven Podcast. We are three film and television writers who are here to talk about how to make it as professional writers in the entertainment industry. This podcast covers what we wish we'd known when we were getting started so that you can learn the easy way, what we learn the hard way. I'm Hannah. I mostly write for television. I'm Jess. I mostly write for television as well. I'm Erica, and I mostly write romance novels. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I write features. (laughs) I would so read your romance novels. Yes, I write horror movies and romance novels. (laughs) We're talking about genre blending, so yeah, that can work. So here we are for part two of our discussion about world building, which came from a email from one of our listeners, Alana. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And I thought one thing we could start with was what are our favorite genre stories? I feel like I had a couple formative ones, right? Like when I was a kid, I I wasn't allowed to watch TV. But one of the exceptions to that was Star Trek. My dad loved Star Trek. And so he let us get away with watching it. So I grew up on like reruns of Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. And Deep Space Nine especially, uh, I really, really loved. It was one of the first shows to use season-long arcs. And also, like, they had three-part episodes, you know, in in mid-season or the end of season. And their episodes were focused on character, unlike Next Generation or original series, which were very focused on plot. Like, with those ones, it was like, this weird thing has happened. What does the crew do about it? But Deep Space Nine was like, here's this character who is having this emotional, like, character arc using sci-fi elements. I didn't understand what was so cool about it, but I, it made me fall madly in love with those characters. And the other show that I snuck into my childhood at like friends sleepovers was Xena, Warrior mm. Princess. Like I oh, had yeah. a friend who had recorded episodes on VHS. And so she showed me all these episodes and I was a huge Greek mythology nerd. And it was so cool to see the myths that I loved and the magic and the gods and all that put in such a cool modern context based on this character who was like so dark like she's Xena is like the ultimate like redeemed villain turned hero she has like this incredibly dark past that keeps coming into play in the show but she's a hero now and she has you know this relationship best friend slash love of her life that sees her through all these these terrible challenges and was also just some of the coolest like fighting stuff I'd ever seen so like Loving those two shows has like really shaped who I am as a writer. I write primarily science fiction now, but I got into sci-fi really late. I was a reader and a writer of fantasy and high fantasy and stuff like that. And then I remember the two things that really shaped my trajectory as a writer after that was when I saw The Matrix and then I watched Battlestar Galactica. Woo! Love Battlestar. So good. And then I realized, oh, wait. I don't necessarily want to do the fantasy stuff anymore. I want to do that. Whatever they're doing with that, that's what I want to do. This idea of like taking a world that we think is familiar and then turning it on its head. Battlestar Galactica, at least, it's it's very grounded. Just talking about all these different social issues with the added tension of like these robots coming to kill all of humanity. And I think that really informed the type of stories that I like to tell. Currently, my two favorite movies I've ever seen is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I think is a really good example of Slipstream, which is like everything is the same except this one thing, which is you can erase memories. And then also Arrival, which I love that movie because it's such a quiet, well-executed sci-fi story. What if aliens came to Earth and how are we going to deal with this? There's not a lot of huge explosions. It's not a lot of the aliens are coming to kill us all. It's just... How do we as humanity deal with this through the lens of this character? I could literally talk about The Matrix, Battlestar Galactica, and Arrival for 
hours, but instead I will just talk about shows and movies that kind of shaped my trajectory because I've always loved sci-fi. Probably started when I was really little and I was watching Power Rangers because, you know, it had it all. It had weird aliens and it had people with superpowers and teenagers. And But really, I think where, where that love was solidified was my parents used to watch the X-Files religiously. And I was too young to watch it. I was like six or seven when it was on. And, and until I was about eight or nine, they didn't let me watch it, of course. But I, I, I think I saw a couple episodes like just in passing, probably my parents finally realized that she should not be watching this and, <laughs> and, and wouldn't let me watch it. But I would sneak out of my room at night and hide behind the couch while they were watching it. And I would watch episodes. And we also lived across the lake from an Air Force base. And so I would like look out my window and write notes. I was on a watch list from the age of nine, obviously. But I was like taking notes on what these I was like, this is spacecraft. This is paranormal. And um, it just got my imagination going. And then when I was nine or 10, I believe I saw the movie Contact in theaters. Oh, yeah. That movie blew my mind. It was so much more than just, oh, this takes place in, in space and has this cool futuristic stuff in it. Talk about world building and theme. The whole theme of the movie is about faith and everything is about faith in that movie. It's like what the character is, is grappling with. You know, she loses her parents, all, all these things that, that she's going through. And that is it plays out in the world of, of the story. Everything about it is fantastic. But that's these are all really good examples, I think, of of world building and how they're not just because sci-fi is cool and space is fun. There's a lot of thematic stuff going on with with all of these examples. I have to tell you guys, since you both brought up Matrix, it is also one of my formative movies. And here's the extent to which it was. We studied it in class as like for religious themes, because there's so much religious themes in it. And me and uh, my classmates ended up making a like 75 minute long spoof of the matrix called the fake tricks that we shot all <laughs> over school awesome. on the internet and, uh, i wrote it and i am in it oh <laughs> my amazing. god i cannot wait to see <laughs> this we're gonna watch this somehow. yeah we are totally watching this anyway matrix super formative we should probably move on <laughs> <laughs> these are all really good examples of world building put to its greatest effect in a way that um, influences characters and and is just it's a such a built-in part of the storytelling it's so much more than the setting it is the world and when we say world we don't just mean the world that the characters inhabit the place that they are it's what's going on in the world it's what's relevant it's the themes it's the socioeconomic issues it's all that stuff so to dive back in a little bit you're having so much fun when you get started world building it does start to get overwhelming sometimes it gets exhausting sometimes you've gotten to a certain point and you're not really sure what more to do or for whatever reason you find yourself stuck. So how do you guys like get out of that? Well, generally I can always read my way out of it. If I'm having trouble coming up with something on my own, if nothing is sparking, then I'll just go and usually I'll read some news articles or I'll try to find some, again, those nonfiction pieces that have to do with what my world is, something that's similar to my world or even similar to my characters. And almost always just the simple act of reading how other people are handling this similar topic will snap me out of whatever funk I'm in and spark something new. If I am stuck, I'm being stubborn with myself, you know, that I'm knocking on the wrong door, but it's the door that I really, really like. And so like, I tend to have to take a step back and be like, am I willing to let this thing go? 
whatever it is, or am I willing to rebuild the story around it to make it work? Right. Because if you find yourself stuck, like sometimes it absolutely is like, I'm having a hard day or whatever like that. But I think with world building, if you are finding yourself hung up on a detail that's just not working for you, then there's a, a larger issue with the story, right? Like if your premise doesn't fit the world, if your main character's decisions don't make sense based on the repercussions of that choice, again, in the world, then you need to make a choice of which which one you want to save and not be afraid to roll back a lot of stuff if you need to. Because like, yeah, it might be easier to let go of that detail. It might make it for faster writing. But what if that detail was the thing that really attracted you to the project or makes it really special? You got to be willing to to tear things up and, and go back in and make sure that your world organically fits around that thing that's that you're stuck on. When I'm starting off world building, I want it to be so many things. I have all of these themes in mind and all these different characters in mind. And I'm like, I want this to be about the state of the universe, basically. But no story can really handle all of those things. And the story will find its truth and it will find its clarity when you can sort of focus in. I'm like, what are those one or two or three things that I really want to talk about? You build around that as opposed to trying to create like an entire history of the universe. I say keep it simple. That's not really the right. That's not really what I'm trying to say because world building, it's very complex and complicated. You want to have lots of layers. But one thing I remember learning from the panel with John Spates, who wrote Passengers, he said, when you're writing genre, you can suspend your, your audience's disbelief only to a point. And so you usually only get one big buy. You can have lots of these genre elements we were talking about in our previous episode. You can have trolls and elves and magic and all these things, but you can't also throw time travel in there. You've already gotten your audience to buy into these other elements of your genre story, but trying to combine massive elements like time travel and particular superpowers or superpowers and magic, it's its just too much. So be selective about those big elements and, and know that your audience is only going to allow their disbelief to be strained so far. Well, I'm going to disagree with that a little bit. I think the sentiment behind it is super sound because you need to look at the buy-ins you're asking of your audience. And if you introduce time travel three quarters of the way through your movie, then yeah, people are going to be like, what the fuck? Right. But like audiences are more sophisticated now, which is why we're getting such cool genre mashup stuff. And I don't want to discourage people from doing that. It's just that you have to really know whether or not something is a, is a buy-in, you know, or whether it's an element. And like, it's sometimes difficult to tell which is which. And that's why it's so important to have readers who can tell you like, yes, I was with you until you introduced the time travel. And you're like, okay, that means either I need to get rid of the time travel or I need to find a way to make the time travel an organic part of my world. But I think you really have to look at structurally when you're introducing elements, because if you do leave it till too late, or conversely, if you introduce too many elements at the same time, then your audience is going to be like, this is too much either in terms of how much is happening or when it happens. When it comes to genre, when it comes to world building, your act one, your pilot are the most important parts of that story in a way, because you have that amount of time. You basically have the beginning to establish your world and you have basically a very short amount of time to convince your audience to buy into this world. And so if you are not completely clear on the rules of this world, your audience is not going to be clear on the world either. And so I think in a way, act one slash the pilot for genre stuff is the most important part of any story. 
that you're going to be telling. The feature version of that is Act 3 problems or Act 1 problems. Like if you are, if an element shows up in Act 3 that you haven't properly grounded in your Act 1, which is the amount, you know, where you really need to do the heavy lifting of your world building, then people are, are going to bump against it. Yeah, my mentor, Robin Swicord, she used to said that Act 1 is when you pack your luggage, and then Act 2 and Act 3, everything has to come from that luggage. You can't just like suddenly throw in a new set of pants or something, however far you take the metaphor. Like whatever, whatever you packed in the bag of Act 1, that's what you have to work with. Jess, you told me this for a script, and it like changed, changed my whole view on it. It was super helpful. The first act is also where so many writers can go wrong in trying to pack that luggage and make sure that it's all in there, especially even in the first 10 pages. And I struggle with this on every genre script I write. You've got a lot of information that you need to deliver and set up, but you also are trying to set up characters and your concept and your premise um, pretty much get kick all that off in your first like 10 pages of your screenplay or in the first act of your pilot. And so where a lot of writers tend to go wrong is in just trying to you know beat the audience over the head with exposition and that coming out through dialogue we've all seen this either there's like a chiron at the beginning and sorry star wars already did it so you don't just get to have a rolling page of exposition you have to find a more clever way to get that out it's so funny that they get away with that right i know I think at the time they were like, this is fine. And now we're like, oh, we've seen this before. But yeah, scrolling text, not not ideal. And having characters just tell you or voiceover or, you know, there's just, yes, if you have a lot of information to get out, I, I'd say, look at how other movies have done. If you If you have like a movie that's in a, you know, similar world, see how they did it and try to come up with a twist on it. Like that kind of goes with anything in your world, not just your first act exposition and your first act like setup. I have a heat scanner, a bio scanner in one of my scripts. It's very similar to the moment in Aliens, which is so genius that they create suspense by having the little bleep on the on the scanner, like getting closer and closer representing the alien. It's terrifying and it's genius, but you know, it's been done. So, you know, I had to try to come up with uh, a twist on that or something that is unique to that. So if you're looking for ways to avoid being heavy handed with your exposition, there's a lot of ways to do it. But ideally, it comes out in action and as part of the story. And you're not taking a pause to say, let me set all of this up for you. Yeah, show don't tell is is a huge watchword of world building, right? As much as you can, show don't tell. There are times where it is expedient, however, to use voiceover or something like that. So you need to make sure that it is grounded in the context of your movie. Like I think Serenity is a good example. That movie starts with voiceover uh, explaining how we got where we are. You know, it's like Earth that was did this, and then they colonized that, and then you reveal, and it's 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 very it's as succinct as possible. And then you pull out to reveal that it is a teacher teaching a class, and that one of our main characters in that class. And then on top of that, this is a nightmare that that character is having about when she was young. That folds seamlessly into the plot and the character aspects of of the world building. So. Something like that can serve you well. If you really need to get some exposition things out of the way, just make sure that you do it in an interesting way that has visuals attached to it and that it matters to a character. The character is, if, if you really need to get it out with some of the old tropey ways, like it's on a news program or it's you know on the radio or something, have your character doing something interesting while they're kind of, it's just kind of on in the background. So it's not like we're all stopping to, to listen to this exposition and tell us what we need to know spider-verse did this so well they did it throughout the movie they had whenever they introduced a new spider-man 
they did the same they turned it into like something really fun right they're like they'd have okay here we go again you know and then you'd hear that new spider-man story and it became a part of the rhythm of the movie and they accompanied it with with images and it was part of an overall mystery you were trying to solve you know of like why are there so many spider-men and back to the the voiceover thing you were talking about earlier, what stuck out, the first thing that came to my mind, and this isn't a genre show, but did you guys see that show Never Have I Ever? No, it's on my list. I really need to see it. It's so great. But what they did was they had John McEnroe, the tennis player, do the voiceover. And like that, that like middle-aged man's, you know, sardonic voiceover as narrating what this horny teenage girl is going through was so clever and genius that you were like, I, I love this voiceover. If it was her voiceover, I'd be like, well, okay, that's a ha- I already, I can see what's going on. I, I hear in her voice enough, but like things like that, anything you can do to make it fun. Take the trope and twist it. Even like Bridgerton or Gossip Girl, really just making the voiceover a part of the world and part of the tone. But I will say like, if you can find a way to, to do it without voiceover, this generally better. Like the thing that when I was in at NYU that like I had a writing professor who would always come back to Terminator. Terminator doesn't tell you, doesn't explain anything until you get to the part where Sarah Connor is in the car with Kyle Reese. You know, like, come with me if you want to live. They get in the car. They're, like, driving away from the Terminator. And that's when he's explaining shit. So it's, like, the middle of an action scene. And crazy things are happening. But you're getting your exposition at the same time. And part of what's so smart about Terminator, too, is you tell the audience what they need to know when they need to know it and not a moment before. So in the case of Terminator... Sarah Connor is the main character. And so even though you meet the Terminator first and then you meet Kyle Reese, but she's the main character and you're in her point of view from the moment you meet her on. And it's a horror story. She's being attacked by this crazy man who is Arnold Schwarzenegger and super buff and uh, impervious to bullets. And she is like, what the fuck is going on? You want your audience to also be like, what the fuck is going on? Because if they kind of know what happened and the war and Skynet and all that stuff going into it kind of takes away some of the suspense for this terrifying thing that's unfolding. That's actually a really useful trick for world building and for genre pieces in general is to have a character who's a bridge for the audience. So in this case, Sarah Connor is the bridge for the audience, the understanding of what the Terminator is and this new world she's found herself in because she's as clueless as we are, the watchers. But then you have Kyle Reese coming in and explaining everything to her and it makes sense for that time and for this character. Because she needs to know what's happening. It's not ideal when in a story you have one character turning to another and be like, I know you know this, but, and then explain <laughs> everything that they both know. And so it's, it's useful to have a character who is oftentimes oblivious to the weird world building, magic, sci-fi thing that is occurring in your story, if it's possible. And something that just takes practice, and that's why you write script after script to build these instincts of how long you can keep your audience waiting before you start giving them answers. My strategy is always like less is more. And then when you get your reads back being like, did you understand this? And hearing yes or no, or if they got frustrated as a reader, because like, I just really wanted to know what was happening with this. That tension is something that keeps audiences engaged. And you have to know that line of like when to satisfy them. Also, you want them to enjoy being kept in the dark. But there's a there's a point in which that stops being enjoyable. And just with practice, you'll figure out when structurally you want to give that answer. I'm constantly surprised by how little an audience really needs to know to be able to follow a story and be engaged in it. I mean, there's been so many movies I've watched recently as sort of research for a project I'm working on that has some world building. It takes place in the future and um, there's space travel, there's terraforming, there's like colonizing a new planet. And so 
I was really worried that, you know, a lot of these world details wouldn't be clear and there'd be all these questions. And a lot of the times if I thought, should I put this in or not? Is this going to be clear? And you hold off, you get the read back and people are generally like smarter than most writers, I think, give them credit for. People are able to follow a story with minimal amount of information, but it's important that you know it. So I think that's the key takeaway of world building is you need to know all these details so that if there is a question, you have an immediate answer and know exactly where to put it. Just like for any other script, character is the most important thing. And it's especially true, I think, with world building stuff, because those of us who are fans of genre things, like we love these worlds and we obsess about these worlds and we talk about who would win in a fight, like the Hulk or the Balrog, you know, like it's so in, in like inspiring. And it is, I, I think the, the biggest mistake I see people writing these kinds of scripts make is they get completely obsessed with the details of the world and they miss the fact that if it's not about your character, people won't care. They just won't care. Well, one last thing to wrap this up. What is your guys' favorite part of world building? For me, I do a lot of flipping mythology on its head, like I said in, in the last episode. So that moment where I figure out the modern day equivalent of a myth or something like that, that feeling of like, I'm so fucking clever, you know, and like I may not be. <laughs> I, I look at it later and be like, no, that was really dumb, Erica. But like that feeling of taking something either in real life and turning it genre or taking something genre and finding its real life like form. That's the thing that makes me happiest. That's so funny because basically that feeling of I'm so fucking clever. That's my favorite part of world building too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think that's why I like grounded sci-fi and slipstream so much. It's because you're taking a slightly sci-fi version of reality and then you're trying to take as much of like what's happening now, the things that are affecting our society now and then just twisting it slightly to incorporate this this new sci-fi alternative history element, but in a way that it, it feels both unique to the audience and yet familiar enough that they're like, oh, I understand what this is. And that little twist can be really, really satisfying for the audience. And of course, if the audience is satisfied, then I'm like, yeah, I'm awesome. It's very rewarding to connect with something and feel like you're conveying something that's important to you, but like you know that if you tried to talk about it, you'd be sort of cast aside as a disgruntled hippie by your parents or something. <laughs> um, but when you get it across in a story and it's so cleverly disguised as world building and, and entertainment, it's fun. People don't even know you're kind of tricking them into, you know, listening to something that you care about and, and might might think or believe. It's pretty satisfying. And sure, we're not, we're, we are just creating television, writing fun movies. We're not curing cancer or saving the world. But if there's even just one person who can see the story that you told on screen and walk away like, oh, I now have a new perspective on this issue that I didn't have before. And it's because I enjoyed myself being in this world and putting myself in these characters' shoes, then that's that's just really special. I think that's what's so, I think that's what I love about writing genre. Yeah. And I will disagree. I think we are saving the world. <laughs> I think if the pandemic has proven anything, it's that we keep people sane. Well, on that note, I love patting ourselves on the back before we end an episode. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> you're so special. That's, what we're, that's why we're really doing this, guys. It's, it's all for us. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed our world building episode and got something out of this. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, 
we would love to hear from you. So we are on Twitter at Untitled Female. You can email us at untitledfemaledrivenpodcast at gmail.com. And what would be super great is if you guys wanted to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd love that. Thank you. So hope you guys enjoyed and uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Bye. Thank you guys. (laughs) Bye.